Stella Artois, Bob Marley, Babylon Bypass, a steamed hoggy snapper from Coconut. Beats and Easter podcast. Uh, this is Old Head Ed, your host, Ed Energy, aka Ed Energia for my Spanish speaking people. Um, once again, we're back with another episode, another week, and another guest. Um, I really, uh, it's it's gonna be tough for me to kind of like formulate a, a proper introduction for this gentleman. Um, but what I could say is that um, I want to quote. Actually, I want to quote the Broadway play Hamilton. Um, there's a line or there's a part, there's a song there where it says, um, uh, wanting to be in the room where it happens. Um, and if there's anyone who's been in the room where it happens, it's this week's, week's guest. Um, whether it's Keith Richards, uh, LL Cool J, Run DMC, Supercat, Brand Nubian, Rakim, Mary J. Blige. This is going to take a while. Uh, most deaf, uh, South Florida's very own Dynas, uh, and, and, uh, I mean, to me, a pinnacle, like a favorite top choice for myself is a tribe called quest um i'm speaking of none other than mixing and recording engineer david kennedy yes, yes sir thank you so much for blessing the podcast yeah my pleasure for being here excellent excellent um i <laughs> i know there was a lot that went into that intro yeah <laughs> and i'm sure that i didn't cover everything yeah i i, I Sometimes I can't even cover everything. <laughs> okay. I'll be honest with you. I have to look, I have to pull up papers and say, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Did I do that? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, so. so let's get into that. Before we get into the prestigious career, um, I guess my, my, uh, my first question would be is, uh, when did your musical journey start? My musical journey started extremely young. If I could really trace back early influences. My father was a... Uh, a blue note jazz aficionado. Okay. He collected. Um, I grew up in New York. Um, my early years, I was born in New York, and um, he would listen to. He would tape these radio programs off of the jazz station. I can't remember what the call letters were, but you know, I, I still have I still have these tapes. Um, but he, it was just early jazz. Okay. You know, so, um, you know, it's Coltrane, Miles, stuff like that. Okay. Um, you know, there's always a recording device or a musical, you know, device in the house. My father made sure a guitar was there. Nobody could play the guitar, just sat there for years. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I was in literally in um, the baby seat. Okay. You know, listening to this stuff. Yeah, you know? I, I, I'm sure he would make an effort to put it on and make me listen to it. Okay. Know? So, um, I would say that was my earliest um, influence, and then after that, um, coming up through high school. By the time we moved to Jamaica, 
my sister was heavy into the Beatles and you mm -hmm. know she bought every Beatle record and she would listen to every Beatle record every day for the next three or four years you know before I got into buying records myself okay you know and then it was the Jackson 5 and and stuff like that and um, eventually I ended up um, doing um, parties okay not promoting parties but you know the thing was to it was always about operating a system or a sound system correct you know? so um, we had a sound system in high school we had a, you know I was you know every weekend it was a party we'd go to a party we'd support our local sound system okay. and so we all grew up yeah and I had you know I started collect records and um you know, I had my own little sound. It wasn't anything great, you know, with a couple of friends. Okay. And of course, from there, you start to dream and say, "Damn, you know, you know, <laughs> I want to make some music." You know, by then I was I was playing the guitar. Okay. The now house. you were able to play the guitar. Right. Yes. I was picking up bass lines. I was listening to like Sly and Robbie Channel One. You know, because it was my turn now to to play records after school. You know, so okay. this was going on. Yeah. So I was playing Sly and the Family Stone versus Sly and Robbie and um, you know I started picking all these bass lines and I was like wow I can I, I think I know what I'm doing self-taught you know? this right. is you just matching the what you heard to what the sound yeah, that came from pitch. the guitar okay and um, picking up bass lines and you know you're gaining the confidence to think that hey maybe you know you know well let me rewind yeah um, I had a good prep school you know, okay. they, they, they put a violin in my hand. They did put okay. guitar in my hand, and I could strum one and two chords. But, okay. you know, I didn't really think anything of it. Mm. So I, I did have an early musical uh, introduction, but I didn't really pick it up until I went to college. Okay. And I bought a bass guitar uh. to follow up on it. And um, I was studying, I went, I, I went into radio. I didn't think I could make music. But I knew I could play music. So okay. I said, let me go into radio broadcasting. Okay. So okay. I went up to New York. I went up to Delphi. Um, did one year in the cold. And found out that the University of Miami did a did a mass communications program. Came down here. Did a lot better weather. Came to better weather, but a worse school. <laughs> and um, But I, I could tell you probably it led to the... the um, Genesis, the, the progress of, of, of my journey, because okay. everything was is intertwined and important. Yeah. So I was going to University of Miami. Um, I found out that University of Miami had a recording department. Okay. Tried to get into the get into that, but couldn't because I couldn't get into the music school. Wow. The music school is high. Yeah, highly regarded. Yeah, I imagine it's full classes, waiting list. I'm here with my fretless bass trying to get in, and you know, I don't, I've never been taught anything other than what I did in high school. Yeah. I didn't really make it. They were kind to me. You know, they let me take a couple courses. Okay. They entertained me. Um, Ken Pullman, the director at the time, never forget his name, um, he was encouraging, you know. Um, he was he was more like you know you don't really have to you don't have to go through this to do what you want to do you know so don't let this deter you from doing what you want to do yeah so um, I did um, I dropped out 
well, in between that, um, my roommate happened to be um, good friends with Bob Marley. Wow. Okay. We found out that Bob Marley was living somewhere in the Dade South area. Okay. We embarked upon a journey, jumped into the car, and said, we're going to find Bob. Because <laughs> we were high as the ever. The quest for yeah. Bob. Yeah. Just one evening. You know, could yeah. be just like this. And this yeah. is like, I know he's over there by Old Cutler Road somewhere, man. Go over there. We stupid as hell. We jump in the car and drive. So we're driving up and down Old Cutler Road. And sure enough, who drives by but Bob Mark in the Jeep. This is like, there he goes. Drive it down, drive it down. So we chase this Jeep down. Stop the Jeep. Bob Marley's looking out, looking out like nervous. He's like, who the hell is this flagging me down on Old Cutler Road? And he sees this Desi, you know, Desi in my room, Desi Smith. And, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're, we're every day we're at Bob's house. Every striking day we're at Bob's house. Instrument in hand. Well, instrument in hand, but more, <laughs> more spliff in hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, absorbing. Yeah, we're just absorbing vibes. You know, we're yeah. playing football, we're, we're eating food, um, we're jamming with him, we're doing all this stuff. Um, and, you know, um, by then, you know, I'm really, you know, determined to be in the recording industry. Okay. I'm not trying to say I'm a great bass player. I, I, I could be a better engineer, I'm sure of it. You know, I'm, I'm willing to go to school for engineering than I was to go for music. Yeah. And I remember saying to Bob, you know, hey, Bob, you know, I, I, I'll follow you anywhere. You know, okay. Because, you know, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Bob was like, why are you going to follow me? You know, you stay here. You know, every opportunity you want is right here. And um, at that moment, I decided I was going to go to New York to um, a school called the Institute of uh, Multitrack, Institute of Audio Research, okay. and um, do their multitrack technology course. You know? So I told my mother, you know, I'm dropping out of University of Miami. She says, again, yeah, I'm going to drop out of school. <laughs> but I want to go. I want to go to New York now, you know. So I'll go stay with Dad, and you know, you just pay the whatever it is the two-year course, and that's mm -hmm. it. I won't bother you again for yeah. your shit. You know, of course, mothers love their sons, and you know. So I was there, did the course, hung around in New York for a couple of years, not really too long. You know, I, I did the Lower East Side um, music circuit. Okay. And played it bands you know yeah nothing great because i couldn't play yeah you know <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, i was having you, fun yeah. you were able to keep up though yeah yeah, yeah yeah i was able to keep up <laughs> you know so um i went to jamaica and um went to went into dynamic songs one of the big studios there okay. owned, owned by um byron lee from byron lee and the dragoneers he was a calypsonia chinese jamaica okay but you know, these, they're very entrepreneurial and they have their, their business. So he had the studio and they had the label. And so I walked in, I had the piece of paper and you know, I've completed the course. And you know, who else in Jamaica has a piece of paper like me? So you gotta give me a job. And they're like, yeah, you know, they paid me little next to nothing, took advantage of me and stuff oh. like that. You know? and, and they probably labeled it under paying dues. Yeah, paying pay dues. dues you know, yeah. So. And it, it was probably, a, a, um, I mean, everything is, happening right for me you know the, the, my first my first um clients or or 
customers is Sly and Robbie with Black Uhuru. Mm. And they're doing Anthem, which is the first Grammy winning album. You know, wow. so my work is on that album. I don't have a Grammy for it, but my album. But you contributed to a Grammy winning album. album. Excellent. Um, that's for my first session, mm. you know. And by the time Sly and Robbie figured out it was my first session, like, no, no, no we gotta get out of here. We gotta, <laughs> yeah. we gotta get, we gotta get her, we gotta, we gotta get an engineer who knows what they're doing. So they brought in Steven Stanley, and um, um, he, he's a genius, and I learned so much from him. You know, I was fresh out of school. Yeah. I didn't even know how to stop the machine. I knew, the, <laughs> yeah. I knew the press record, and I'm like, damn, how do I stop? So I don't damage anything, because yeah. if you erase something, you know, it's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. So I hit stop instead of hitting the play button again, and Sly and Robbie looked at each other, and like, oh, something's up here. You know? <laughs> so I got demoted quickly to second engineer. But, okay. <laughs> but um, it was, it was you know, a good experience for me. Yeah. Because, you know, after that, um, I started to do on road tours, you know, live songs, stuff like that. Okay. You know, I just started to hustle. Because um, they weren't paying me anything in Jamaica. And by the time I figured out that what I was making in Jamaica was equivalent to what I could make an hour stateside doing the same thing, I just came back. Yeah, made sense. You know, it I made dollars and cents. Right, exactly. <laughs> I didn't have, you know, I had, you know, I had the birthright. It wasn't like I couldn't go. So I, you know, I just came back. And coming back, did I walk straight into that? Um, I, I walked, I, I remember, you know, when I was in New York first, pounding the pavement looking for work, I remember going to, you have two types of, of, um, of arenas for engineers. It's either uh, Madison Avenue, which is advertising, okay. or, or rock and roll. Rock, at the time, rock and roll encompassed everything. Yes. Talking about music or yes. bands, it's rock and roll. Yeah, this is past the disco era. This right. is okay. Right. Prime time for rock and roll. Right. So um, I remember going to, um, you know, I had my little locks and stuff like that, and my eyes are red as fire, and I'd be going, I'd be applying for jobs at Madison Avenue. Yeah. And this guy, I forgot his name, Mike. Mike Shapiro, maybe I don't know. I don't want to. He he went off and started taxi in um, in L.A. Uh, music licensing business. Okay. But he encouraged me all the time. He was like, you know, he says you don't want to do advertising. You want to do music, you know. And he he'd always send me around to a couple of places, and he sent me around to the studio owned by this guy Tony Battaglia and his wife Willa. Forget her name. I guess it was Bataglia after a while. Yeah. But they weren't really together, but they were together for okay. the sake of the business. And um, Keith Richards walks in, you know, looking for a studio to record his, his solo album. Wow. And he was like, oh, you have a Rasta here as an engineer? This is where I'm going to record my shit. That was good enough for Keith. That was good enough for Keith, you know? So, um, you know, he still brought in... Um, you know, his technicians, his crew, uh, Don, Don, uh, Don, I forget his name, a, a, a Hawaiian engineer who worked with them before, had mm. a big hit. He came in and more or less tuned everything. You know? okay. I set it up, but, you know, he tweaked it and got the song yeah. that he wanted. So I'm still learning. Yeah. And I'm learning from the masters and the greats. Right. You know? 
and everybody's more or less taking me under the wing. I had Bob take me under his wing, you know, then Bob passes, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And um, Keith takes me under his wing, stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's working out for me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm proving my parents wrong. I'm proving everybody wrong. Yeah. You know, they're like, why do you want to do this? There's no future in this field. So, um, see now, where am I? Keith so, Richards. Keith no. Richards, solo album. Oh, God. After Keith Richards, that was the key to the city. Because every studio is like, you engineered Keith Richards' album, but you know, is he going to do a second album? And could you bring him here? So everybody, everybody calls your best friend. You know? Uh, yeah. So I ended up, I ended up hanging out at the studio. Um, damn, I can't remember his name. Gray Cells, Fried. We'll come back to me. Yeah, well. I, I remember it so well. Because um, I'm very particular about what equipment I use and they had like uh, a Neve console. I'm not plugging Neve, but they had the console that I liked. Yeah. And um, and I made that my home, you know. I, you know, I remember just calling them up and saying, yeah, I did Keith Richards album. They're like, oh yeah, come on down. So I was there. And hip hop was just, um, hip hop was established. You had, you know, Furious Five and all that already doing stuff. But the the you know run DMC, the was, mainstream media hasn't hadn't fully received hip hop yet. In right. other words, they, they, they were was, just getting the there taste. There were sprinkles of it. here and there, right. yeah. And the money was just starting to flow. Mm -hmm. And the actual getting Def Jam was exploding, and yeah. you know, and all the other labels are trying to to catch up. Yeah, yeah. So it just like kind of exploded overnight. And um, I was you know I was working. You know, they, nobody else, they didn't know what to do with these clients, you know. And I had, you know, I, I remember getting the call. Uh, well, David, you know, we, we, we got the cover girls coming in. You know, you, you want to do the session? And I was like, oh, shit, the cover girls. Huh? It's easy, sounds easy, but I don't know the console. Mm. I, even though I liked working on a particular console, yeah. I'd never worked on this damn console before <laughs> in my life. So, we used to go to all the trade shows and collect every pamphlet of every piece of equipment possible. You know, I had a friend Chisel, may rest in peace, who was like me, you know, two of us grew up together, sound system, gotta be an engineer, he, you know, yeah. decide, you know, he went to IAR a year before me. And so we, you know, we go to all the trade shows and stuff like that. Um, so I had my pamphlet on the train, I'm looking at how to operate this board, you know, from, from a Promotional pamphlet. Yeah, I mean it's pretty rudimentary. Which they're, they're typically they're not really that in depth. No, they're the not. They're real surface. Right. Yeah. But the the system is once you know one, you know all. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured out oh, this is the input down here's the EQ. You got to press this button to turn this EQ on. All right. I, I don't want to look like an idiot while I'm in there. So I come in. It was an easy session. Um, the producer's name was Andy Panda, um, a young guy. Um, and he was impressed that there was a black roster engineer in the session, you know? For the cover girls. For the cover girls. Whatever, I mean, he, he didn't care. Mm -hmm. He really didn't care. They were just spending money. I was introduced to the game of spending money. Um, Andy Panda um, liked me, and I became Andy's engineer. Okay. Every time he wanted to go to the studio, I can't remember the name because of R, that's as far as I can get. Um, so, 
I start the hang out with Andy Pandy. This is what you do after the session, you know? Because I'm a, I'm a club guy. And I said, okay. go hang out with clubs instead. So we hit, started hitting all the clubs. Now, gosh, man. Now I know why Dre told you to talk to me. <laughs> I'm skipping out some important shit. As okay. I talked about the club shit. Okay. When I was in school for engineering, I used to hang out in Washington Square Park with all the herb dealers, because that's how I got my weed. Okay. And I remember one day, I said to, you know, shit was, shit was getting desperate, and I was like, I gotta make something happen for me. And I said, all right, let me go talk to Audit, this drug dealer over here. They usually have money. Maybe I can get him to invest in some of these tracks that I've started. Okay. So let's go listen to this cassette in my car. So we're walking out of Washington Square Park to my car, and we're approached coming into this this park by this woman with two blonde, many-looking guys, you know. Okay. And they point at me and Audie, and I said, oh, they come to buy drugs. So I said, Audie, go talk to them. I'll wait for you over here, and then we'll go listen in the car. Oh, this is business, and mm-hmm. I want to get involved. You don't want to, yeah, exactly. Oh, this is David, come here. I said, no. He said, no, they want to talk to you. I said, me? What the fuck do you want to talk to me for? And I go, no, I'm going to come. So I go over there. It sounds important. Apparently, they're scouts. They look, they're, they're model scouts looking for a dread model that they want to use for a fashion show. Huh. <laughs> so... Um, would you do it? I was like, is there money in it? Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, I'm a Rasta and I don't need modeling and all kind of Rasta. But yeah. there's a check in it. Yeah. I don't have to shave and you know, you don't do any crazy shit with me. Yeah. I'm interested, you know? Yeah. So Audie's smart. And Audie says, yes, I'm his manager. <laughs> so he, <the> should, <laughs> he didn't miss a beat. <laughs> so, so, this woman ran an agency, a fledgling agency called Men. Her name was Nadia Sharik. And Nadia had this vision, you know. Now this is, is this about the same time Millie Vanilli was on? Because Millie Vanilli, people started to try and inspire me with Millie Vanilli. And I was like, nah, I ain't not buying that shit. <laughs> you want nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you got the wrong image. I am not that. <laughs> <laughs> but it might have been around that time when that talk, that sort of. So you're talking probably you '88, if it was, if we're talking about the same era. Earlier than that. It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. around that time though. Yeah. And um, next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do the men's shows in Paris and stuff. I'm wow. Picked up by. Um, I got agents. I got. Nadia couldn't deal with me. Nadia figured that. You know, I was like the, the average dread you could pick up in Washington Square Park. Woo him with a checkbook or something like yeah. a flash a dollar bill with yeah. him and offer him some pussy and he and, Yeah, that was it, he was sold. Right. But I wasn't I wasn't into that. You know? Um So she had less power over you. She had no power over me. She no was power. pissed off. Okay. And you know, she went to Beth Ann Hardison, who um Kadeem Hardison's mother. Okay. Right. And um, she she said, I can, let me talk to him. 
you know, and what she did was essentially say, you don't need to be with her, you need to be with my agency. I, I can fix you up the way you want to be. <laughs> so I said, sure, bet, boop, left, you know, pissed off, Nadia, whatever. It was my discovery, la la la, whatever. I'm just still looking for a way up and up. Your way, yeah. Yeah, you know? So, Bethan taught me a lot about New York. Taught me a lot about um, the real scene. Mm. Prior to that, no, I just know I'm a Jamaican in New York. Yeah. Okay. So now um, I'm getting back into um, the underground scene. Okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a mini celebrity now, all of a sudden. Okay. You know, I'm not a big celebrity, but, you know, I'm going on. Uh, um, auditions, movie auditions, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, clubs that I couldn't even look at before I walked well, right, right in. in. <laughs> so the club scene. The reason why I had to backtrack now, because now I'm I'm hitting club scenes with Andy Panda. Now you're yeah. Both. So this is that's kind of normal for me, but still. I'm still kind of, <clears throat> I'm still kind of green, and I kind of need a tour guide, you know. And I'm getting the best tour guides around town, yeah. You know, because now Andy's good friends with Russell Simmons and, mm. and all this other stuff. So, um, Russell, no, Russell and no, I'm, 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 I'm working sessions with Def Jam. I'm cleaning out Def Jam's budgets cleaning them up um, I'm hitting Universal I'm mm. hitting all these independents I'm making nice money yeah. you know and, and I remember somebody telling me you know Russell had a meeting so that you know we paid David Kennedy oh, all this money we haven't even paid this person this much money <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing the work yes you understand so um, there might have been some other shit involved with that I don't really get into yeah. that. But. Well, and I imagine at that time, I mean, I don't know how early this model started, but typically most corporations, um, if you don't spend a certain amount, then it doesn't justify them spending that next time around. Or or they, it's it's less. I don't know if that applies in the music business where it's, I mean, you want to spend a certain amount, but if they realize you could do it for less, then they get, they get less. Less goes into it. You know well, yes, Yes and, and no. Okay. Because even though I'm making money, mm -hmm. I'm not making what the white boys are making. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? And, um, and to be honest, the artists are not making what the white boys are making. So it's, sure. all, yeah. it's all relative. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? that's true. We're that's all true. happy and saying, oh, we've arrived. You know, we can buy a car and you, you can get a house. It's great. You, you bought your mom a house. We still not live in the way we're supposed no, to be. Living. Exactly. And um, and they know that. Mm. And they're probably fighting legal battles now because of that. Because a lot of guys are smart. A lot of guys are are, are, are trying to buy back their catalogs and you know. Yeah. And and, and you know they they're, they're looking at record companies different. And if you really look back at, at the, the videos, you know, I look at try videos and a lot of them said these guys were like babies. Yeah. They they're so young, you know. Yeah. But I'm still working with Tip now. But I look nice. at early videos of Tip, and I'm like, oh my God, you were straight out. 
You know, they, no wonder why they, they think it was easy to, to take advantage of you guys like that. Yeah. Even though nobody else could do what we were doing, um, they still knew how to jerk, but jerk us over. But that was the, that was the, the, the rule of the day. Yeah, industry yeah. rule, 4080. Right, same, company, same thing in the fashion industry, if, okay. that's, if that's what it, you're asking. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, it, it would right, be the same. Yes. same Italian. But differently, a little bit different. Um, I never made, I only made editorial. Most I ever made was 1500 a day doing editorial. Meanwhile, all the other blonde and blue eyed kids, $10,000 um, contract or endorsement, this, wow. that, and, you know, $20,000 apartment, $150,000, la 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 la. Yeah. You know, and I stepped to Beth Ann, who was a conscious, you know, where I consider a conscious lady. Mm -hmm. I said, what's up with that? How we, you know, how are we gonna allow this to happen? You know, how can we fight this? Because you know, I'm about to fight. Yeah. You know, I'm all about, you know, taking it to them. You know? And her response wasn't really um, as encouraging as I mm. wanted to keep. Okay. And In other words, if you were willing to take the fight, you knew that you were gonna need at least a minimum amount of support, and that wasn't coming. You, that wasn't coming. You wasn't. You weren't getting that vibe from her. Didn't get that from her. Mm. Um, and um, I really can't say I, I don't blame her. I guess mm. she had her own program of how she would address things, and yeah. she probably understood <coughs> that probably I couldn't fight and win. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't fight and win. But anyway, um, where was I? So we were, uh, we've gotten, now you're back at the club, so you're working through the, with Andy, Andy Panda. Panda. All right, Andy Panda, no. And I'm doing all these sessions. I'm making all this money, so-called money. Um, Came across Russell, and now you're getting money through, whether it's Universal, right, Def Jam. Right, right. I'm, I'm making decent bank. Yeah. My name is known. Um, I'm still doing the modeling on the side. You know, I, I remember one day a client came into the, into the studio and says, I was shopping in a mall out in the Midwest and I saw a full-size photograph of you in a fur coat. Was that, <laughs> was that you? And I mean, yeah, it's me. They said, how'd you get to do that? I said, I've just been doing it on the DL for a couple of years. Yeah. I said, yeah. You got management? I said, yeah, Bethan. Really? Bethan called me like next week. She says, all these people are calling me, asking me to manage them. I got, I got, um, Orange Juice Jones calling wow. me. I got all these people. I said, well, I said, well, it's business. She says, but they're not models. I know. <laughs> you know, so what you got to tell them, you yeah. know? So, um, so I had my, um, my status. Yeah. All right. I was an in-demand engineer. I was a... Man about town, stuff like that. Okay. Um, um, I, you know, you don't really have enemies, but you have haters. Okay. Yeah. That's always going to be a constant, even when they weren't called haters. But yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know, you you give and you give and you take. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. So we're talking engineering now. Now you're doing a lot more engineering work. Um, the difference between the free prefixes mixing engineer and recording engineer? The differences. A recording engineer 
is responsible for um, um, in pre-digital days we'd go to tape we'd okay. have to record the performance to tape and when you when you go back to the origins of recording excuse me there were only microphones there was no direct just simple plug-in direct injection DI yeah. stuff like that um, so there was an art to selecting the right microphone combination of microphone with the right preamp okay. uh, with the right console um, the right angle stuff like that the right room the right a whole lot of a whole lot of an art and a science to the thing gotcha come gotcha. into play as we approach to the current age all of that just got simplified and canned and you just open up a can of sound and you got yeah. something that's, <laughs> that's yeah. recorded you know so um my 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 necessity the need for for people like me kind of fell off okay because anybody who could afford a computer at that time yeah essentially get away with pretending to do what guys like me can do mm. so that's a recording engine yeah. the mix engineer now after everything is recorded you've recorded the band you know captured the bass player you've done you know you so your overdubs the background singers have come in and put okay. on their parts you know because maybe not everybody could make it at the same time yeah. and some production techniques um it's it's preferred to to do things broken up so after you've done all your recording you've done you know you have to you know create what's called a master recording of it, a two-track master recording okay. which you're mixing all those 24 tracks or how many tracks down to two and there are all so many variables involved that mm. you have to control um, you have to balance or strike a balance yeah with the audio that is pleasant within a um, specification you know stuff like that that's what the mixing engineer does did you ask about another one no that, those were those were the two that, those right. were the two because there's other stages there is yeah because after I mix it the mastering engineer takes it now. Ah. And then he he, he polishes, <laughs> you know, puts a finer sheen upon it, you know. Yeah. And Waxes it. Right. <laughs> and he limits it. He makes sure that it it's it's the tolerances are exact. Okay. On it. And it and if it's an album, there's a cohesiveness across the whole project. Because they might might have ten engineers mix one album. Okay. So you'll have ten different level type things coming from 10 different studios and yeah. the mastering engineer has to kind of pull all that together and make the final part. Wow. So there's, so there's and I imagine uh, the more people involved, it's whether it's band-wise, whether more instruments, that's more mixing to do. If, there, if it's a smaller, if, you know, before, let's say, let's go down to take hip-hop, for instance. Uh, before hip hop was a lot of sample bass, so that was what you had to worry about—just that one track with the sample and then the drum pattern and so on and so forth. And then there came a time where people said, "Well, let's get live instruments in here to replay these melodies, or, or a sense a melody in the sense that we don't have to pay for the sample." Exactly. That—that's when it becomes a little more uh, extended the job as far as mixing the instruments down. I imagine. Well, it depends if you're chasing a sound. Okay. In other words, I, I've. I've tried to do it 
you know, you you you, you sample something that was recorded in 1950, mm. and it's 1980, and you, you want to recreate that sound. But your the, the, but the equipment that you have now is so high fidelity, and so and, and it, it, there were so many mistakes between 1950 and, and 1980 that they fixed. Yeah. That the only way for you to do that any justice is to use the type of equipment that they used Back at that then. time and, and in that type of room and all of that. Too, yeah. Which, or at least think that's what you're doing. So. Sometimes we thought that way, and a lot of times we didn't. Okay. And I think that kind of hurt the music. Wow. I think that. I think that they. I think, to me, the art of sampling is inherent to hip hop music. Mm. Hip hop music is about. Is not, is a is about. Hip hop is about recorded music. Yes. Um, which means it needs records. It needs a recording. Yeah. And it's a reinterpretation of that recorded piece. Yeah. If you want to reinterpret it by playing it over, it's still a reinterpretation because it has an original influence. Right. And people sample for textures. Okay. You know, it's not so much that we're sampling your song whoever you may be, artist mm -hmm. A, B, you know, and you're protecting your rights or whatever. Yeah. You know, we're, we're actually um, highlighting and appreciating your work. Yeah. Right? And and incorporating it into newer works that you should at least, you know, be happy that we're doing that. Now, granted, I mean, you know, some of these artists are like, you know, I don't want you talking that shit you over my music. You yeah. know, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. But I think that I think that uh, a better positioning should have occurred that that would not have killed sampling, sampling, yeah. and hurt and hurt the effort, the, the movement in such yeah. a way that that this trap shit was, has taken it's, over. Yeah, yeah. You like know? you said, it, you you hinted at it a little earlier when you said it started to hurt the music, and that's that's a perfect example where it's. Now that doesn't take to me at see at least to me it doesn't seem like it takes a lot of know-how to put together something in the vein of what we hear nowadays. So, um, but we I, we I know we have a whole other segment dedicated to music, and we're definitely gonna get to that. So I don't want to do too much. But <laughs> what I'm gonna do here, we're gonna take a pause. Uh, I'm gonna let them know this is Bruce Beast Least the podcast. I got David Kennedy with me, Old Head Ed. We'll see you on the other side. David Kennedy, Bruce Beats and Easter Podcast, Old Head Ed still here. Um, Dave, this is the segment um, where most guests enjoy this segment because it gives them an opportunity not only to try new beers, but just drink beer in general. Right. So um, what we do here is we have four beers for our guests to sample. We'll start from your left and then we'll go right. Um, as you sip a beer, I'll give a couple of facts about the beer, where it comes from, uh, the style it is, so on and so forth. Um, and then you give me your opinion on them. Typically at the end, what we'll, I mean, you can give me what you think about them as we drink them, but at the end what I do is I'll just ask for one general, one through four. 
so so when you say one through four i gotta pick one of the four as a top beer or uh, yes correct or do you, so you kind of rank them or, or rank yeah one you could rank four. them yeah okay. pretty much rank them the one that you would go back to the one you least you know least likely drink again if it, if it was that so um before we get into this one um stella you're a stella fan um is there any other beer that you usually gravitate to besides stella artois um I've been drinking beer since. <laughs> I've been drinking beer. Way before I, Washington Square Park, right? Long before. <laughs> yeah. My father gave me a sip of Valentine Ale. Ale. Wow. You know, we're talking 60s now. Valentine wow. Ale. And that, no, I no, I was talking to you earlier about the Jimson Ale and Lager. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> um, ales have more alcohol content. Okay. To me. Okay. And they're more like a liqueur. Correct. Lagers okay. are a lot lighter. Right. Yeah. And they're more fizzier. Mm-hmm. Carbonations okay. a little more. Yeah. Valentine Ale was true to form. It was an ale, ale in every sense of the word. Yes, it was an ale. <laughs> Excellent. And I, I can smell it. Okay. To, if you keep talking about it some more. So I've been drinking since. Not drinking, sorry. I've tasted beer. Yes. <laughs> See, someone, if, 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 if you, you would have continued with that term, they're like, no, Dave oh, has a problem. Lock, they would he's lock been, up my parents. Yeah, he's been drinking for a long time. <laughs> he might long. have a problem. Too long. So, but anyway, the point I'm making is, all right, so that's the first beer I can say I know about. I mean, yeah. there was Schlitz. Yeah. There was... Um, Cold 45? Yeah, I didn't learn about Cold. I, I learned about... I learned about Valentine Schlitz. Okay. There's another one, the Champagne of Miller. 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 Yeah. Okay. But we leave now and go to Jamaica. Okay. No Valentine's Day. No, they have Red Stripe. Okay. And later on, I mean, first of all, it's just Red Stripe. Yeah, you want a beer? It's Red Stripe. When you go to a bar in Jamaica, mm-hmm. and you say, "You want a beer? Yeah, I'll have a beer. Can I have a, you know, there will be two Red Stripes on the table <laughs> because that's a beer. Yes. If you want a Heineken, you ask for a Heineken. You don't ask for it. If you ask for a beer, you say you want a beer, I'll take a Heineken. They look at you like you crazy. Wait, which one is it? It's in other words, they know that Heineken is a beer, but in Jamaica, beer is a red stripe. Red stripe. It's a red stripe. It's a Jamaican national beer, and it's what we know as beer. Everything is a Heineken. This is beer. This is beer. So, I grew up on red stripe first, and then Heineken. Okay. This is in Jamaica. Yeah. This is pre-college. This is high school. Drank through high school. Um, massive, massive drunk episode. Um, about 15. Okay. Okay. Drank off a case of beer. Oh, wow. Show it off to our friends yeah. at a party. <laughs> yeah, let's get a crate of beer. <laughs> That's what you do in Jamaica. Buy yeah. a crate of beer, throw it on the ground and say, drink. And so we drank. And I drank. Quite a few. I probably drank about ten or twelve. So one that didn't Ooh. die. But anyway, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know that was it. You know, um, you know, I was sold. I mean, I, I like beer. I was never a rum drinker or, okay. or any other kind of hard Alcohol. liquor. Liquor. I used to drink gin, though. Tom Collins. I don't mm. know where I got this Tom Collins. Mm. Stop at the bar. So you Tom Collins. Tom okay. drink this Tom Collins. But that was about it. Okay. Went off to college. Um, then it was just Heineken, 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 yeah. Heineken. 
then I learned that Heineken's have to be cold. Because in Jamaica, they don't drink cold beer. No, if you I've, ask I've been told. Yeah. I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> Rule number a, one. <laughs> give me a cold beer. What's wrong with you, you know? And Guinness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Guinness yeah. is also a late addition to the, to the game. We had Stout. We had McEwen Strong Ale, McEwen. which is very strong. Okay. And um, Dragon Stout, which is a local uh, okay. brew. But it's very sweet. Uh, Whereas okay. um, Guinness is very um, bitter. Yes. And true to form. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, I'm learning about bitters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Emigrated to England, and I go to England, and I'm going to the pubs and learn all about you know these wow. fat glasses of ales and you know yeah. You know. So, but I'm still, um, you know, I'll you ask me what beers I'm drinking now. So I've always drunk a Heineken, drink Heineken, ice cold, gotta be yeah in the yeah. freezer first before I break it up. Yeah, my, all my beers usually have to be cold like that for that crisp. Yes. It's lagers. I wouldn't know so much about ales now in the fridge. But Peroni. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one too. Has has crept into my palate. Okay. You know, I like Peronis. I like Stella's first, Heineken second, Peroni's third. They've destroyed the formula for Red Stripe. Red Stripe is no longer what it used to be. Wow. Because when they sold it, the people who owned it walked with the formula or people who bought it changed the formula. Wow. Because I know the people, the family, and the people say, it's, yeah. it's not what we used to make. Wow. So it's not even a case of like, I know, coming from Dominican Republic, I know that a lot of times people say, a Presidente over there. Oh, I like Presidente. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a solid beer. And then the taste of it over there and over here is two different things. That's not the case of Red Stripe. Red Stripe is just anywhere you get it at this it's point. It's whack. It's whack. But it's Heineken's whack. in Jamaica taste different than Heineken's over there. You have to drink twice as many Heineken's in Jamaica to get the effect of what Heineken Yeah. Well, speaking of effect, let's get this party in effect. Yes, sir. Let's go with that first one there. That is uh, Jake Wakefield's. Did I just say that right? (laughs) I haven't even drank. Jake Wakefield's. It's actually Jay Wakefield's Hops for Teacher. This is an American IPA. This one comes in at an ABV of 6%. Alcohol? Yes. By volume, and it's brewed here in Florida, and it's found year-round. You can find beer seasonally. Yes, in the, other uh, words, you can't get beer in certain seasons. Yes, okay. there's some. Uh, there's what they've known. And there's year-round beers. There's uh, seasonal beers, and then there's rotating. What they call rotating, and what uh, I've found out in the past when I look up rotating, rotating is pretty much a beer that they have the recipe for, but they make it when they want to make it. Um, my first taste off of it, I mean, once once you you can only tell by the first taste. Yeah. Because after this, it, it gets lost second and third. Correct. And then hence the pretzel, so that maybe we could restart. Try. I'll try. I'll try reboot before we get into the next one. Correct. Um, it's aromatic. Okay. Um, I found that hit me before I could taste it. Okay. And it's it. I could. I could. It's very hoppy. Mm-hmm. Heavy hoppy. Yeah. True to form. True to form. Excellent. Let's get into the next one. This is from Barrel of Monks. This is their Strawberry Beret. Not to be confused with the Raspberry Beret, the song by Prince. Um, this is a Belgian pale ale. 
clocks in at an ABV of 4.8%. So we took a... We, a jump down. We, yeah, we dropped down. So what is a Heineken rated at? Uh, I want to say a Heineken is right around the 4.2, 4.3. If I'm yeah, not mistaken. You can taste the potency. Yes. Yes. Let's try this. That one's also brewed here in Florida. Okay, this tastes like a shandy. Okay. Very light. Um, very not like a beer at all. Correct. Okay. Um, and the shandies are most commonly found in Europe. Like the lemon shandies and... Right, I mean... <clears throat> more of a fruit-based... Right. You, you, it's actually just a beer mixed with, you know, some kind of fruit to, 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 to water it down. Okay. It is very watered down. Okay. It's a safe beer. Yes. It's a introductory, introductory beer, I would say. It's a, it's a beer you buy for your date. There you go. Nice. The third beer we have, it's from the Terrapin Beer Company. Um, this is their Hop Secutioner. Hop Secutioner. Uh, Sounds dangerous. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, there's six different hops that go into it. Um, I think they're listed on the bottle. Yeah. Uh, Cascade hops, Centennial hops, Warrior hops. Now, do you find that canned beer tastes different? Yes. Well, um, as opposed to can and bottle, I don't think I've found too many instances where I said, no, it's better in a bottle or better in a can. A little bit of Heineken. But, can you tell? Mm, you know what? I haven't, I don't, Heineken cans I really don't mess with. And it's not because of the taste, it's just that that's, I've always been used to the bottle. That's always what I've gone with. I have noticed that there is some beers that taste better um, coming from draft right mm -hmm. off the tap than, mm -hmm. than of canned or bottled, so that I, I've, been, I've encountered that. But um, you know what? I, I don't think I've had it, that many Heinekens in cans to be able to tell the difference between that and a bottle. I always go bottle. Well, it, it suffers more in the can. I think the can loses temperature, loses, yeah. it warms up much yeah. faster than the bottle. Yeah. So the, t the taste tends to die off mm. faster in the can. Yeah. And vice versa. I think some of the some beers are affected by the light. That's why some bottles are different colors Opaque. as far as brown right. and green. <clears throat> all right, um, this one now is Terrapin with, with six hops. Six hops all mixed in there. They, they executed the hops and they came up with that beer. Or is it going to execute me? This is no, what I'm worried about. We, no, we want all our guests to survive. But I'll tell you this. We are going back up to the 7.3%. So it's it's so far at this point the highest content you've had. That's probably why I like this one. <laughs> it tastes, it tastes like a beer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It tastes, it tastes good. This, this is it's one of the crisp. few. Yes. And that's and it's it's crisp, it's light, but it has uh, it's potent. So yes, um, I've noticed. So this one's brewed in Georgia year round, and this is one of the IPAs where I can drink, and I, I enjoy it. Um, the the bitterness is is tolerable for me. The, you know the bitterness that is there, it's tolerable for me. I could drink those. I like that. Okay. And typically, I'm the more people I speak to, the more I uh, find out that uh, a lot of people have the same frame of mind when it comes to drinking beers of a higher alcohol content because it's it keeps you it saves you from having a pound Drink, beers, pound beers a whole, left, right, you know? and center. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they can creep up on you. Yes. 
Yes. Yep. And okay. sneak up on you. And speaking of sneaking up on you, uh, this one might be the one. This is our fourth beer. Uh, this is from uh, Chimay, Beers of Chimay. This is their Grand Reserve Blue. This is considered a Belgian strong dark ale. Ale. Yes. This is the only ale. The only ale. Well, I will, they're all ales in the sense. This is the dark ale. Because they're Indian pale ale, pale ale. They're all ales there. But this one's the ale that might, that packs more of a punch. Um, like I said, it's a Belgian strong dark ale. This one clocks in at a 9%. So this is the mountaintop for this set right here. Brewed in Belgium and it's found year round. It has like a coffee. Yes. Yep. Taste to it. Swirling it around like it's a wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasant bouquet. <laughs> it's a very floral, floral, floral textures. I'm telling you. <laughs> what it do? Um. It. You know. If you could pour Pepsi into okay. a beer. Okay. That's what you. If, yes. If Pepsi was alcoholic, yeah, that's where that's where that takes you. That's where that. That's mm. exactly what it looks, tastes. Yeah. The coffee thing is, I don't know, Dr. Yeah, Pepper. I don't know. Okay. You know, it, it has that that feel, the consistency of a soda. It's not bad though. It's, okay. Okay. Right. It's funny you mentioned soda, alcoholic soda. Um, I've I've known, I've come across Peruvians, friends, friends of family, friends of myself, and um, they uh, they pour soda in their beer. Uh, and then you know when you ask and said, oh yeah, this is how they gave it to us when we were kids, you know. Um, I've had a guest in the past who uh, you know we drink Malta as, as well as you guys right. drink Malta, so. And Malta, we call them cervecitas, which is their mini beers. Right. And typically, that's what kids in Hispanic houses right. like. Yeah. Oh, you know, just to like feel like they're part of what's going on. They drink a, a Malta. So a lot of times, I'll come across beers, I'll sip them, and I'm like, it brings me back to a, to what, what, to a Malta. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I see, I see the relation between Maltas and beers, and um, that's where we're at now. Uh, Dave, you made it through the four beers. What are we looking like as far as the top beer and then the least likely for you to uh, venture back into? Terrapin is definitely the top. Okay, okay. Shouts to Terrapin. We got a horn. The strawberry beret, mm-hmm. definitely coming in last. Okay, okay. So it's a toss-up between the IPA... Yeah, the Jay Wakefield Hoffa Teacher and, and the Jamey uh, Grand Reserve, the Belgian Strong. But I think, I think it's going to be this one for two, this one for three, this one for four. Strawberry Beret four. Excellent. I think so. Let okay. Just, let me just. Okay, oh, hey, wait, wait. The judges, the judges haven't confirmed yet. I have to go. I have to look at her again. Yes. <laughs> we want to get it right. Could I get past the Pepsi? Mmm. Okay. Okay. No, I couldn't. Okay. 
see what I didn't like about this. Because it's sweet, too. Yeah. And like you said, it had the heavy aroma on the front end. Yeah, I, this is number two. Okay. Excellent. So, Terrapin number one. We got Jay Wakefield Hopper Teacher number two. Then we got Chimay's Blue, uh, Grand Reserve Blue as three. And then the Strawberry Beret, the kind you find at a secondhand store. <laughs> That's the fourth one. Dave, we made it through. All we have left to do is close out this segment and get into the other one. So, okay. Bruce Beast and East, the podcast, feel free. This is it. I'm not going to be bad. I got to drive home. That's it. That's We preach responsibility here. <laughs> we're not professional, but we're responsible. <laughs> Bruce Beats and Easter Podcast. Bruce Beats and Easter Podcast. Uh, we have reached the Beats portion of the podcast. Um, we got to know Dave. At the very beginning, he gave us uh, some background story, um, how he came to be, how he became to be an engineer, an esteemed engineer, um, a model as well, which I, I had no idea. So that was a pleasant surprise. Um, and then we had him try four different beers. He survived. He made it through. He gave us his opinions. He gave us which one was his favorite to least favorite. And now I know we left off where we were, uh, it was heavily music based that first segment so what do we do now we keep talking about music now we're going to get to the part of music where um we discuss what dave is listening to and then we're going to throw in a couple of things that i picked up along the way just kind of doing some research uh but let's start with your musical taste dave what are you listening to um i've i've stopped i stopped listening to music um, and I'm just getting back into it. Okay. Um, I went through some major changes in my life. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I've all you know, sometimes, you know, you work so much in the studio that you can't really, you don't really find time to listen to anything. Okay. Um, after I put in maybe 10, 10 to 12 hours in the studio listening to one song, that one song does not leave you for the next couple of days. It's still playing in your head, playing in your head. Um, it, it, you may, it, there may be interruptions, but it'll still be with you. Yeah. Um, I got... Um, my, my parents died in, well first 10 years of 2000 so 2000 my father died 2004 okay that that was the first change that brought me to Jamaica mm. I built a studio on my father's property there is that the Cedar Hill yeah Cedar Hill okay and I was um operating you know trying to operate out of there for a while so in Jamaica, it's a, you're in a different part of the you know the world. I, I, I'm, I'm still a, uh, a hip hop, neo soul, okay. um, jazz okay. fan, mm -hmm. but you don't you know you know well granted with the internet you still have access to that stuff. 
if you have internet, Jamaica has very poor internet service. Especially where I live, which is way up in the hills, okay. off the beaten path. Yeah. So I didn't really, you know, gradually I stopped listening. And I got out of touch with um, contemporary music, okay. popular stuff. Yeah. I I had my first born child in 2012, got married probably the same year. Okay. It was a major shift for me. Mm-hmm. And um, still trying to operate the studio. Um, I, you know, I spent all this money building the studio. And at the same time, the, st- the computers are making it, making my studio obsolete. Okay. So I was fighting a losing battle. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had location, you know, I have a beautiful studio up in the hills, inspiring. Um, you know, it's hard for people to get to in one instance. And um, people, were, people were scared of me because of my experience. They can't afford to pay me, mm. you know. And, mm. And, and, and those that wanted to come and pay me were really were coming with not enough money. Yeah. So I was becoming more and more despondent with the whole thing. Okay. Then I got sick. I got diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Bladder cancer. You know, this is like, 2014 was a rough year for me. This happened in 2014. Wow. And jumped on a plane, moved the whole family up to New York. You know, I give thanks. Um, I, had, I had good, good treatment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll be looking at five years. Remission? Yeah, cancer-free, mm-hmm. you know, they, they basically cut it out, you know. And okay. It, and it didn't really spread. They can't find it anywhere oh, else since then. So they're, they're, they would like to say I'm cured, but, you know, yeah. Bladder cancer has an ex- exceedingly high return rate. And, you know, and everybody says, oh, it'll come back within five years. And I got two months to go. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, you wow. you know, you'd be forever looking over your shoulder. So yeah. these things change you. But while I was in recovery in New York, you know, I, you know, I started to reach out to a lot of friends that I hadn't seen since I left New York and, okay. and you know moved back to Jamaica or moved to Florida at the time. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do him justice because he's passed. Um, God, I can't remember his name. Um, anyway. Artist? No, A&R guy. Okay. A very, very, very um, nice brethren. Try my best to remember his name. Um, but anyway, he said, you know, call call your buddy Q-Tip. You know, he'd be glad to hear from you. And I was like, okay. You know, um, and I called him. He's like, come over, man. And you know, I got things going on. So. He kind of put me back into the, the flow of things, you know, okay. where I was missing. And, you know, so I started to listen back 
you know, the new hip hop and stuff like that is not appealing. You know, I still, you know, uh, for inspiration, I, I'm still uh, a heavy dub fan. Okay. You know, I'm not, I listen to the new artists that are coming up, but they don't really know it the way we knew it. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the production techniques are, are different. They're a little more rushed now and they, they take a lot for granted. They, you know, they, they're, they're kind of bypassing the art of it. So I'm still listening to a lot of old Okay. You know, yeah. long story short. Um, you know, I, you know, I have my Sony system. I'm, I'm, I've got my Prime, you know, so I, I, I can find stuff that I normally wouldn't find. You know? Yeah. So, you know, still listen to my Blue Note jazz. Okay. You know, um, old school reggae, old school dub, rockers. Um, Old school hip hop. Um, I do. I do keep an ear out for new music, yeah, fresh artists and stuff like that. Um, I, I I I like I like when they they try to show that they're they've been listening. You know? Yeah. And I and I, I, I if I meet them or know them or whatever, I, I let them know that I appreciate that and I say it's a good thing yes. that you're doing that. Yes. And I look out for artists like that. I still do production. Okay. I produce a couple of artists. I, I I do consultation for um, a few people and stuff like that. Um, but it's more on a hobby. Okay. Because you know? the money's not there anymore. If the money's there, it's just not coming my way. Yeah. You know, and and, and I I I'm happy to say that I've had a good run. Okay. A lot, you, a lot of people don't have a good run. They can run very fast, and that's very short. They're, yeah. they're out of it. But the distance is short. They become winded before they even go a third or a quarter of right. the run you've had. Right. I mean, <clears throat> for me to have put in thirty plus years yeah. into it, I I think that's accomplishment. I mean, so I'm going to focus more on hip-hop this time around, and we're going to talk about your run, um, uh, just to throw out there, uh, Brand Nubian, uh, One For All, or... Uh, um, all For One. All For One, uh, album I grew up, that, those were my formative years, um, watching these videos where they're very impactful. Even before then, I think one of the, I mean, of course, everybody knows the, the run the MC Walk This Way, and those are all videos that were... Uh, kind of making their way into the mainstream but um you know whether it was public enemy um there was those videos always like like grabbed me like they grabbed me through and then that kind of set the tone and then now when i start to see brand nubian mm -hmm. um um who else rakim uh, you know rakim uh just with his the potent poetry his way of weaving through a verse right um with not even cursing Right and and but but commanding and having and uh, uh, commanding a respect and just being so lyrical it was great that kind of like you know formed me in a sense and then when I would come across someone like a Tribe Called Quest younger guys like you said or like you alluded to earlier younger guys at that time <clears throat> and um, and their vibe was just a more lighthearted having fun with it um, these yeah these are all like this is all music that played. Uh, a role in me, um, a kid that moved down from New York mm -hmm. to South Florida, 
and was in in uh, in those years where you're kind of trying to figure out who you are. You're, you know, 13, 14, and you're not sure where you stand when it comes to things. A part of New York. Uh, I was raised. I was born in uh, Uptown, Bronx, and then I was raised in Queens, okay. Jackson Heights. Um, right. Shouts to Jackson Heights. And uh, spent a lot of time there. We bounced around for a little while. We ended up in Jamaica, Queens for a little while. My aunt had a house there. Uh, we moved to um, back to Washington Heights at one point. We, that was a pretty short stint there. Mm. That was middle school. I was in Washington. Yeah. So we were on a uh, Dykeman and uh, Dykeman and two hundred was it? It was a long time ago. Two hundred is up there. Yeah. Two hundred and seven is the train stop. Yeah. I was one eighty seventh and Overlook Terrace. Okay. Okay. That's so that area for a while, you know, for a short while, but I got to witness it and um, had family up there, family had business up there, and then eventually we moved down to South Florida. So when I started hearing uh, music, more of the hip hop music, and when I started developing a taste for more of a taste for it, and it would find its way to me by, you know, uh, no internet back then, so right, <laughs> it right. find its way to you just by radio, the hearsay right. radio, and uh, and that kind of like brought me back to what I remembered from New York. So it made the transition a little easier, um, but I've been here long enough. So I say that to say that um, you have been involved with many groups that I've grew up watching. Um, so I've had a good hand in your yes, fortune. yes, <laughs> on, on some six degrees of separation, kind of like. Like way around it. What, so da what damage are you holding in this <laughs> All of it, Dave. All of it. All of it. <laughs> we might have to turn this into a counseling session. Oh, Jesus. No. no, but um, but definitely. And then later on, of course. And then now, when I when I've developed the hip hop taste, and even later down the line, um, most deaf. Uh, Black on Both Sides, mm -hmm. a, a powerful album. I uh, was a big fan of the Rockus, everything that came out of Rockus. Um, I remember uh, Most Def when he was, before that, when he was with uh, Urban Thermodynamics, which was him. Okay. And I don't even know that. Yeah, him, his brother, and his sister. Um, and then eventually, you know, he went out on, on his own, uh, got together with Kwali and did Black Star, which is another album. I mean, it, I, we can go on. So I want to touch on Umi Says. Mm. And and yours since we've already discussed how you've <laughs> affected my life. <laughs> wow. Your your presence in in, uh, in Umi says. Umi says. Wow. All right. I was doing. I was doing. Tribe's second to last album, The Love Movement. Okay. And most did a feature on the album. And he came in to do his part. And I think he had his, he was working on the deal. And he alluded, you know, he says, you know, I'm gonna have you work on my album. And I was like, bet, you know. Mm -hmm. I just got nominated for a Grammy here, maybe we can get a Grammy <laughs> off your album, you know. Because I mean, I, I, you know, I was in awe of most, the most, most, um, genius mm. you know he's acting and stuff like that yeah, yeah. I, I knew him from from his commercial with Deion Sanders yes yes and I I, I, I this, this kid just blew me away yeah. you know next thing you know I'm mixing a tropical quest session and he walks in and like he's a rapper I'm just like what do you want to be a rapper for you, you as an actor you're <laughs> top bill you know yeah so anyway um he got the deal, he calls us up, you know, we all, we start, you know, this album, Black on Both Sides. 
and this album just came out basically came out of his head um, lyrically he had I, I would say he had all this stuff in storage yeah catalog yeah waiting yeah this stuff and mm-hmm. he was just looking for the right medium the right beats to, 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 to put it on yeah so we were having a lot of there was a lot of turnaround there's a lot of stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. I can't wow. recall wow. what, how many songs we did mm. and, and how many songs we ended up doing. Because there was a lot of, you know, if this producer came in with 10 songs, most took all of them. <laughs> and we start, we'd be working on these 10 songs. And then another producer come in with 10 songs, he'd take all of them. And this kept going on and we like, you know, when is it going to end or, you know, you know. You know, but they say there's a thin line between genius and insanity. insanity. Yeah. You know, and you have to know how to walk the line. Mm-hmm. You know, most was <clears throat> navigating. You yeah. Know. And um, Umi says was, I think, the last recording. You know, because at this point, no, we want to kill each other. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> we're tired. Yeah. You know, we're exhausted. It's all 12-hour days, you know. You know, and most, you know, the artists are just hard to work with. Yeah, and he's kind of like probably bringing you closer to closer to the insanity yeah, well, yeah, I've side been there. of the, I've been there. Of the I've, line. I've, I've, yeah. A couple times, artists have taken me yeah. over the edge. With their insanity, but um, most was more his thing was more his focus um, and getting that vision out of his head mm. onto it, and it required it it, it 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 required a lot of blunt force to the to 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 um, where if he had left it up to me to do it, we would have not had what we had and I had to make him come in and say here you this is the button that you're going to press when you want this to happen and this is the button that you're going to press when you want that to happen you do it don't sit on there and try to explain it to me what it is and if I do it it's going to come out different the way you want it to yeah and as fed up as I got with him at the end of the day I was like oh that's fantastic it's a good thing that you did it you know what I'm saying so Umi says was the last one of the last recordings that we did, where most was just like, all right, I'm going to play everything, or I'm going to play what I can play. Okay. And work. This is not going to be, this is a track that's going to be produced by me. Okay. Most. Yeah. Played by me. Yeah. And most went and played the drums. You know, and I recorded the drums and stuff like that. You know, I... I took the good parts, you know, I did the editing and stuff like okay. that. Edited out the drums and stuff. And most plays the bass, you know. Um, did he play? I, I might forget, because a lot of people are coming in and out. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some talk that Will I Am also played on it, even though I can't remember. I remember him coming to the studio, but I don't know if he played on that song. Yeah. He might have. I, I, I don't care. Okay. Give him credit for it. A lot of people came through. Weldon Irving. Okay most important character the late Weldon Irving um, to that song in particular 
and the, the only real input that I could say, other than the engineering that I did and the assistant producing to cut and do all that, is, um, at the end of the day, they looked at me and says, "What more do you think this song needs?" And I said, "We well, could put, you know, put some moody organ or some stuff on it." You know? Okay. And um, since Weldon is here, you know, and to me that kind of made the whole. It just sealed up everything. Yeah. I remember at that time the feeling that came over me by the time we finished recording that song was that all the shit that you went through with most to make this album is worth it. Wow. This song ties this whole album together and makes it worth it. And Mo says, Good, you know, because I'm going to list you as a producer and a writer, credit, la, 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 la. Said that, told everybody that. Boom, boom, boom. Turned around. I didn't get it. I got involved in a lawsuit over uh, it. Uh, lost the lawsuit over it because we don't really win those types of lawsuits. Yeah. You know, so. And, you know, as much as I talk about it, um, I wish that we could do it again. Wow. Because it was a great album. Yeah. And the... the the energy that was involved uh, is evident on the album. Yes. You know. Yeah, definitely. I, I hear people talk about it. You know, I, I I'm, I'm a redditor. You know. Yeah. So okay. People be talking about shit that I work on all the <laughs> yeah. time, and I'm not going to tell them, "Hey, I did that," you know, because I'm, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you know, they, you know, that, there's nothing bad that they say about it. Yeah. You know, and it it means so much. The same way you talk about how your early years, your formative years, yes. and stuff like that. It's the same with everybody. Yeah. You know, and to to be a part of that is an honor. Yeah. The um the other thing I was we're gonna uh, since we're we're dealing from an engineer's perspective here. I want to say that was one of the, if not the first album, one of the few albums where you're listening to the song and he employed, or a technique was employed that was used down here. And I'm sure up there when it, when it came to sound, sound battle, sound clashing, it's where the audio drops out. Oh, the cuts. Yeah, and the audio will drop out. Like here they call it regulating. Well, early Miami... 80s, early 80s, mid 80s, uh, the DJs would play the song and then they would regulate over it where they would drop, like, they drop the rhythm out long enough where they could change the words, alter the words. And I'm sure that comes back from the toasting and chatting days and the sound battles. Um, but I think that was one of the first albums that I remember hearing it prominently on. Well, I'll uh, tell you why. <clears throat> okay. Um, you mentioned Brand Nubian. Okay. You know, I did the Brand Nubian stuff long before. Um, I got to Tribe and most Def and stuff like that. Okay. And a lot of what I did was those drops. Oh, what you're okay. talking about. All right. Because these consoles were automated. Mm. And I would, you know, they come in and the track would play and I, you know, I could do that. And they, you know, <laughs> and, you know and, and like you said, it's part of dancehall culture. You know, yeah. it's just what we did. Yeah. And even even the feather throws. Yeah. I was doing that with the console, showing them how to do it, and we'd figure out how to make it happen and stuff like that. That was the good part of engineering that I enjoyed it. You know, the challenges of it. Now, I was known, this is why they hired me, mm. because I would take the mix from there do the drops and take it to there, you know, bring a new dynamic to it, yeah. which they didn't know how to do. They knew 
sooner or later they understood it was drops and you want to do the drops no okay we do the drops it was normal to do the drops yeah most drops are different which is why he and I clashed heads. <laughs> because, and I had to get him to come and do his drops. Because he knew where to put them. He knew which words to accentuate. Yeah. And I would accentuate the wrong way. I would do it musically. He did it lyrically. All right. Only he knows his lyrics. I didn't yes. know his goddamn lyrics. That's the first time I'm hearing them. You know, which words you want. They're, to me, it's just a string of words. Lyrics are the last thing I listen to in music you tuned into so many other things other that... different things you know by the time I hear what he's saying I said God he said kill his mother like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah. I didn't hear that I worked on that for 12 hours and I didn't never hear picked that up shit. on that <laughs> but so he had to come in and do it so that he could do it with the timing that was required for it um, the song that comes to mind mostly is um, New World Water I was gonna say that mm. I can't even remember it but <laughs> I, that put in the back of my mind. Yeah, it was that was such a battle. Yeah, it was such a battle to do that with most. Most would, most would do things. Most would do is be doing his vocals and just stop. And I and you know I was I was a big headed engineer. And I would just say this motherfucker want me to <laughs> figure out what he wanted to do. Uh, and I'm just going to sit here and look at it and look at him until he tell me what he want to do. And this battle will go on. Most would sit on it, but most mine be working. Mm. He be he be, he be expecting me to understand which word he fucked up and which and which where I'm going to drop the punch in. But I can't read his mind. He has to tell me. If you were a mind reader, you wouldn't be in that profession, right, Dave? <laughs> and I and I got tired of saying you got to tell me. So we just sit there, look at each other, until he realized, oh, okay, go back, punch this word. Yeah. Till we got that kind of working flow going. Yeah. So this is the this is the battle. This is the battle back and forth. But he'd come in and he'd listen back, you know, between the bases. You're a national treasure, Dave. So we had this kind of mutual admiration. Yes. You know, aside from wanting to kill each other. Yeah. Especially when it got down to the legal battle, because that mm. really got messy. I yeah. Really regret it. But Sad to hear. It's all water under the bridge now. For and sure. I, and I, I say it on every chance I get. If you're ready to go again, just call me. I'm, I'm yes. Go, yeah. Yes. Um, Dave, typically I, uh, I, w I would play a song for the guests and then we'd come back and, and get their opinion on it. But I mean, I, I think we've we fulfilled the music quota. Okay. And there's still a lot more that I could ask, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here because um, I appreciate every little nugget, every little tidbit yeah, you've it given. It was a lot. I'm sure you're sorry you asked. <laughs> I wouldn't have a podcast if people couldn't talk about stories. So that worked out. Speaking of the podcast, this is Bruce Beats and Eats. We'll see you guys on the other side. Yeah, yeah. eating good food. So what you eating on? Catfish. I had that. Brisket. I love that. Bruce Beats and Eats the Podcast. This is the Eats portion, the Eats segment. This is the pinnacle of the podcast. This is where I ask my guest, in this case, Dave Kennedy. Dave, your favorite dish? Steamed snapper, hoggy snapper. Okay. 
what makes this favorite dish. Yes, how did that come to be the favorite dish? Um, I'm, well, I only eat fish. I don't eat any other type of meat. Okay. Um, I don't want to call it a meat. You know, I like to say I don't eat meat at all, but I guess fish might qualify as a meat. So fish is the only meat that I eat. Okay. And um, I like to fish. Okay. You know, um, I spear fish. Nice. You know, and I spend a lot of time, a lot of Sundays, a lot of weekends chasing fish. Okay. And in many ways, I like fried fish. Um, I like roast fish, okay. um, steamed fish. Steamed fish is more fulfilling. Um, it, it doesn't have, it's a good meal. Okay. I'm talking steamed fish. I mean, fried fish, you just get the fish, the dried st fried fish, and maybe uh, a fried festival, which is a mm -hmm. piece of flour with it. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> but with the steamed fish, you're getting pumpkin, carrots, potatoes, mm. you know, all steamed down in coconut milk, yeah. know, peppers. It's like a soup with fish on it. And yeah. it's not, it doesn't carry all that oil. And, and Correct. Or the breading that comes fried. with the fried fish. Right. Exactly. Or with the other flour and stuff like yeah. that. So it's a healthy meal. You know, it's a fish, but I don't really eat that much fish since my, you know, my operations and surgeries and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so I like vegetables. Okay. Um, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I like Italian food. Okay. Italian cook-off, fresh vegetables, boiled down in coconut milk. Everything has coconut milk. The rice has coconut milk. The vegetables have coconut. The fish has coconut. So coconut is You're big putting milk. used to a lot of coconuts <laughs> with all these recipes. So you know, it's good. Okay. Good cholesterol. Yeah. And coconut water itself, coconut milk, coconut water. That's that's pretty good for just all around digestion. Um, hydration, hydration um, especially after having uh, four beers, beers you know, if you want to restore the, the hydrating properties, <laughs> that's true. definitely a way to go. True, true. Um, do you? So you? Okay, so you fish. Uh, do you cook as well? Do you, yes, do you, I cook. Okay, okay. So you you could whip up a, a nice steamed fish, apply all the right ingredients. I do a mean grilled jerk salmon. Oh, okay. And that's probably our our staple Sunday dinner. They send me off to the store. I come back with salmon, rub it up with the jerk seasoning, and throw it in the grill. Nice. Everybody's happy. Skin on or skin off with the salmon? Uh, skin on. Skin on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't really like. I I will eat sushi stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'll eat salmon skin rolls. Okay. But I will not eat salmon skin. Yeah. If I grill it. It's yeah, two yeah. different things, you know. Yeah, I know some people actually go through the whole effort of peeling the skin mm -hmm. off first. I th I usually throw it in the grill, let it crisp up, and then yank the skin yeah, off, yank and it then off, right. yeah. But my wife will eat it. She likes it. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so. Wow. Um, the so I guess is there a place that you would recommend the listeners to find probably one of the better fishes? I mean, because we're not going to invite everybody over to your house for steamed fish or or jerk salmon. Well, I've never had. Uh, steamed fish on this side of the um, Atlantic. Okay. In Jamaica is where I usually get my steamed fish. Okay. Um, even though I've seen 
good hoggies here and Whole Foods and stuff like that. Uh -huh. But I find when I want, um, um, Escovitch fish is nice, which is kind of fried with uh, um, onions and peppers um, sauteed over it lightly. Okay. So it, it still retains a certain amount of its fried flavor. You can get that from a restaurant chain. I don't want to tout them, but you know, I should. If they hear me, they should give me a discount the next time I yeah, get this. Yeah, get a get a membership card right. where you where you get a twenty percent or twenty five percent every time you walk through the door. But it's it's a place called Dutch Pot. Okay. Dutch Pot does does um, good fish. Okay. A snapper. I mean, I, I can't talk about anything else. I don't eat anything. Anything else, else but the snapper. But I do enjoy Thai food when it comes to fish. They do good fried fish. Um, they do good fish as a whole. Japanese do good fish. I, I like, you know, you, you, you have some people who don't really venture out in other cuisines and yeah. stuff like that. But as long as they cook in fish, I'm there. You'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. There's this place called Woodlands Indian Cuisine. It's on University. And I want to say it's just south of commercial. And um, everyone I've told about it, I still have yet to be there. I still oh, yeah, have yet to go. <laughs> but everyone I tell about it, <laughs> they start sending me messages. They DM me. Says that oh dope. man, this is this is great. I have a real good friend of mine who was a Bruce Beats and Eats alumni, one of the early guests on the show, and he lives down in Miami Lakes. And every up. so often he's in the area, he and, I right get to, there. and he comes up, and he and he cannot stop talking about the place. So I'm gonna check it out. That's definitely a place you might want to check out. Um, are you big on sweets? Not really. No. Like not really. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say I have a sweet tooth. Okay. Um, I like cakes. Okay. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't eat eggs, but I eat cake. Yeah. <laughs> Figure that out. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> We're working on this. But I mean, if the cake comes heavy, icing, you know, I scrape the icing. Yeah. And stuff like that. Rum like cake. That. Rum cake is a. I can't take those type of cakes. Mm. Those alcoholic cakes. Yeah. You know, stuff. I mean, cakes with a lot of raisins, like the Jamaican Christmas pudding cakes and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, but you know, I don't like candies in the cake kind of thing like that they do that sometimes yeah i think the majority of people <laughs> that like that. are are in the same on the same boat with you like nah they can't like they have uh what do they do and i haven't seen one in forever but they used to have the the, the fruit cake that was a right. thing when i was young when i was young christmas time i don't know i mean being dominican there's mm. no such thing as fruit cake in dominican republic okay but but, but I think somehow it's, it's a holdover from british culture yes so, I'm, so here I am at such a young age wondering why is there this fruit cake? Like, what is that? You know, it's, it's very deceptive because the word cake implies... You think it's cake. Cake. It's yeah. pudding. Yeah. It's really, it's really a pudding. Yeah. So I was like, ah, I don't know. And then they put a big glop of, of cream, sweetened cream with tons of sugar the on it. The glaze over, yeah, to hold it on. No, literally a teaspoon. Oh, so, oh, they will on top of that? Wow. Wow. And then you take a bit of that and then take a piece of the cake and you eat. So you get a little bit of sweet with yeah. a little bit of more sweet. <laughs> Less <laughs> levels of sweet. Levels of sweet. Um, all right. So you're not into you're not into sweets. Uh, you do like a cake. Maybe not so much a rum cake. Um, 
Vegetarian, carrot cake. How do you feel about carrot cake? I like carrot cake. Carrot cake is good. Banana cake, I like. Yeah. Or like a banana bread? Banana bread. Okay, banana cake. No, that's that's not, good. No, you're right. I don't know where I got that. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to make sure if I ever pull up to Jamaica, I wanna if I want some. I want if it's if it's banana cake, I want to say banana cake. Don't just ask like for banana cake. Ask for banana bread. <laughs> banana bread. Also, don't ask for a beer. Ask for Heineken. That's right. Or if you want a red stripe, just ask for a for, beer. Yeah, there you go. Uh, shouts to Conscious Kings. He's he's the he was the catalyst between you know that made this happen. Right. Uh, Conscious King. Um, a man by many names, you know. Pun. <laughs> Pun. We're gonna call him Pun this time around. I think I've deserved the honor yeah. to be able to call him that. Um, he put this thing together, and um, where was I going with that? Oh, <laughs> See, this is why. This is why I don't smoke. <laughs> this is. This is why. You're tying up. You're talking about food. We we're talking about food. We we're talking about sweets. I totally lost my train of thought there, oh, but 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 I, I you know what it served its purpose. I did want to shout him out for making this happen. Um, with that, I appreciate your time. Um, you took time out of your schedule to come through and, and put up with me and and the uh, no, thanks for the beer and what we yes and that's typically <laughs> that's typically the selling point when it comes to this podcast. It's like oh wait, there's beer there. You know, I could run up on somebody and say, hey, listen, I do this podcast and, and you know, this and that. And it's the moment that I say beer, they're like, oh, oh, you buy beers? No, he did say, Poon said, you know, he talked about it before. He said, you should yeah. do the podcast. I said, ah, all right, whatever. Yeah. Cool, you cool. Know, see what it's about. I mean, yeah. if it's his thing, you know, I support his thing. Yes, yes. He's and and he's a good dude, someone that I always support. I always give him shouts on the, on this uh, on this show. Um, and I hope, I wish him the most of success with his clothing line. Um I know you're not going to hear this till later on, and then, you know, uh, Small Business Saturday has come and gone by the time you hear this episode, but that doesn't mean you can't support small businesses anytime, any any day. It doesn't. You don't have to wait for the, right. the, the Saturday after Black Friday. So my listeners out there, make sure you get involved with these guests that I've had before, whether it's um, Conscious Kings with their clothing line, uh, Rob Production with his video services, the DJs, get them out there spinning tunes. If you have events, if you have functions, reach out to them. I'm sure they'll throw you a, a decent price. Support small businesses. That's pretty much the bottom line. And with that, we're going to wrap it up here. Like I say always, this is Bruce Beats and Easter Podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank the listener for taking the time and sitting down and uh, listening to this. As well as I'd like to thank my guest, Dave Kennedy, this time around. If you enjoyed what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't enjoy it, tell an enemy. Tell somebody. Somebody wants to know. Tell people that you know enjoy podcasts, whether you like them or not. This is Old Head Ed. That was Bruce Beats and Easter Podcast. Peace.